Welcome to the world's premier Black Crows podcast. State of America. Hosted by two of the band's most dedicated fans, David Hudson and Ian Rice. And now, let's get the show on the road. All right, everybody, welcome back to the State of America podcast. I am one of your hosts, Ian Rice, and with me, as always, Mr. David Hudson. David, how are you, sir? Better than I deserve, Mr. Rice. How about yourself? I am wonderful, and one of the reasons I am wonderful is I'm sitting here with you, and it's been a minute, and also on the episode with us tonight is our producer, Jason. Mr. Jason Thomas, how are you, sir? I am well this evening. Thank you, fellas, for having me. Oh, man, this is going to be a fun one tonight, but uh, this is going to be our Halloween episode of sorts. But uh, before we get to that, we got a few other things to go over, namely the fact that the band has just released, in anticipation of the Southern Harmony box set, the first single, which is a remix version of 99 Pounds. 99 Pounds of Matterball Goodness, y'all. 99 Pounds of Soul. What's your take on this one, David? I actually like it. I know it's like everything else with this band. It's divisive amongst the fan base. And there's a little mystery out there as to who's playing on it and who's playing what. But um, uh, I think the vocals sound good. I like it. I like the other one. But I was very skeptical when I saw that this was going to, I got the email that this is what's going to come out. And I'm like, why would you put this out again? We've already had it. Miserable should be the single. But then... Gave it a listen to it. I liked it. I think maybe it's aimed a little bit more at the audience that they're trying to get with this box set, other than the people that are going to go buy it no matter what. Um, but I do think if you're trying to get some of the more diehards on board with buying the box set, miserable to be what I go with. But um, like I said, I like it. Interesting to figure out who's playing what and when, because some parts definitely sound different to me. I mean... I like the remix, the the way it's approached, and the, and the, uh, more so than the original. The only thing that kind of um, puts me off it a little bit, and I again, I can't say this for certain, but just in my years comparing them side by side, it it doesn't sound like Mark's guitar playing on it, and uh, you know that would be problematic for me. But again, I can't confirm or deny that either way. And overall, I, I mean, I think the uh, the remix does sound good. It is a a slightly better vocal take from Chris, so because uh, it is it is different than the than the original to my ears but jason what do you think man? yeah i agree that uh, the vocal take is good uh in general i'm gonna lean towards the old one i felt like that one has a very loose sort of off the cuff feel to it although the remix has uh much more prominent backing vocals from the ladies which i really like better on this one i think that brings a nice element to it especially as you get towards the end and it gets more gospely and they get less harmony and more like they they have their own uh, some vocal flourishes in there from the ladies that I think are really cool. I like either. I lean towards the old one more. Part of that is just being familiar with it. And I've I've been thinking about if that was the right single or not to release. And I agree with David. The the 
song that will get us to buy it is miserable. That's what we're looking for. If I'm just a regular Crows fan who maybe has piqued some interest based on the Shake Your Money Maker tour that's been going on and the brief little bit they were with Aerosmith, Miserable is not exactly the most immediately accessible song to a common mm. fan. Whereas maybe this 99 pounds is a little more basic and it's bluesy and people can get behind it and go, Oh yeah, I remember this band. Yeah. I mean, it is the, the, the kind of the humble pie take on it. If I'm, if I remember correctly, I mean, you know, overall I like it and I, I agree with what you're saying, Jason. I do think that's something that maybe might appeal to the more casual people as to what they've, they've heard and been introduced to so far. David's point is, is absolutely correct. Miserable is what, you know, folks like us are going for, but really I don't need to hear that to buy it for that. You know what I mean? I think most of us who have pre-ordered it or anticipating it, we want to hear miserable. So in a way, I'm sort of glad they didn't put it out because then people will buy it. Yeah. And speaking of the box set uh, being pre-ordered, we have pre-ordered one of the uh, limited signed copies of it, and we will be giving that away on our Patreon. Oh, and um, it'll be even more limited than that. Yes. A surprise coming in it. There will be, it will be a box set that nobody else on earth has. That's Whoever right. wins it on Patreon, I promise you. If you're interested in uh, getting a piece of that action, you can head over to patreon.com slash state of America and sign up. We'd love to have you. And our buddy Jason here has been doing a lot of the heavy lifting on that, the editing, posting stuff. He knows how much we appreciate him, but he does a great job on there. The Patreon radios are good. He's doing some, the bonus episodes, he's recording stuff and he's editing a lot of what we do. And he started editing a lot of uh, these big podcasts. So he knows how much we appreciate him, but he knocks it out of the park. Yes. And I do believe he's blushing right now. His bald head's turning red. Uh. Hey, I gave people on Patreon first right a refusal on it. And so we've had enough time to um, get people on board from there. We're going to have another Johnny Colt hang in New Orleans, December the 2nd. If you're interested, contact us at stateofamork at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Um, the event itself is not going to cost you anything, but you got to get down there. And if it's in New Orleans, you got to eat, Ian. Mm. So. Let me know if you want some more details on that. I think everybody but one person that came to the one at my house is turning around and flying back in to New Orleans six months later. So that should tell you how good it was. Yeah. And uh, listen, I, I personally had to uh, move mountains and uh, make a lot of things uh, all come together to be able to be a part of this the second time around. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing everybody and I'd like to see a lot more faces there. Yeah, we got some first timers, some people I've never met that are that follow us on facebook and uh like i said a lot of people returning and then professor ray permy is going to make an make an appearance and brett hogan's going to be there for the first time and of course rex cunningham will be there he's everywhere did y'all see he had like a back and forth with dave grohl in the middle of a foo fighters concert recently yeah i mean he's like uh the forest gump of uh music he's just everywhere at the right moment you know he is, man. I, and I hung out with him at a Cure concert in New Orleans. He knew everybody. I know. And he's his, everywhere. It's like, instead of where's Waldo, it's where's Rex. Yeah, his uh, his social media handles are uh, quite accurate. But is it the... Um, that guy you met at the show or something yeah. like that? Yeah, it's a variation of that. But yeah, it's perfect. Fits in perfectly. So, I mean, it's really a, uh, a murderous row of people and names from... Uh, past, present, and future of this podcast. So, uh, you know, you're going to want to be there. It's going to be a good time. Yeah, and we're staying 
some of us are staying at the embassy suites on Julia street. I know there's some people staying at a courtyard across the street from that and the Wyndham down the street. Um, the reason I selected the embassy suites is they always have those massive lobbies with couches and chairs that hold a bunch of people. And then obviously you have like a, a living room in your, in your suite. And so, um, come on down there. They, you just may get a surprise that you, uh, we can't say. And, uh, speaking of, uh, people that we've befriended through the podcast and through Patreon, our good friend, Pedro, who you've heard us mention many, many times has been on many, many zoom hangs. His band has a, a new record in the works and, uh, we've heard some of the material and, uh, it is quite good. So we want to give that a mention and also let you know, we're going to be doing something a little special with that. Isn't that right, Jason? Yeah. I've talked to uh, Pedro. We've listened to the record and, um, he has asked us as Crows fans to specifically focus on side B. So the way that he made it side A is all in Portuguese because mm. uh, he's from Brazil. And side B is in English. And they are looking to release a single and would like the Patreon to give it a listen and ultimately pick what his single is. And so we're going to set up a little round table, have a listening party, uh, let Pedro talk about the tunes and then we'll put it out to the Patreon to pick the single. Yeah, so that's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, we'd like to uh, really promote his stuff because he's always been a big, big, big-time supporter of ours and a good from buddy of ours. Jump. Yep, from Jump from Street. Jump. And uh, we got to know him really well during COVID. We just have these late-night Zoom hangs that sometimes would be like four and five hours, and he was always on there. And uh, he's down there in Brazil and made the time for it, and uh, he's just the nicest person we've got to get him up here at some point and, and hang out with him thought we were going to be able to get him down in florida for a minute but he, he didn't make it but he's the nicest guy he's the biggest supporter i think of the podcast so we want to help him out man you remember those covid era zoom hangs man when nobody had anything to do those things were well stopped. nobody had anything to do there was a lot of bourbon yeah oh man those are some good times Speaking of good times, tonight we're going to have a good time. This is our special Halloween episode, and in honor of that, we're going to be talking about the many, many shows and performances that occurred on October 31st over the years in the Black Crow's history. All right, so Jason, explain what we're doing here to everybody. So as we move through these shows, the ones that we've listened to really dove in to just have us highlight our tricks, which is either something unusual that's happened, something we question something that seems odd, and then our treats, the things specifically we'd like to call out that were special to that show that we can uh, share with the listener. Ladies and gentlemen, your friends, the Black Crows. And I have some trivia for you guys if you uh, want to uh, start off with seeing how much you know about the crows and Halloween specifically. 
Oh, I'm about to look like an idiot. But go. Uh, ahead. Are these directed at us? Oh my god. Yep. I'm gonna ask. Well, obviously, I know the answer, so I'm gonna ask you guys. So let's start with this. Black Crows on Halloween. How many times have they played on Halloween? And the good news, as they are counting on their fingers, Crow's base is not available, so they can't quick look it up. Seven. So the correct answer is 10. Which ones did I miss? Here are the years. I was closer than you. I said eight. (laughs) 1990, 1994, 1996, 1998, 2001, 2005, 2006, 2007, 2008, 2010. Oh, I skipped 90 and 08. And I was at 08. That's sad. All right. Next question. Of those 10 shows, how many different band names have they played under? Four. You missed the obvious one. Don't count the Black Crows. (laughs) Don't be that guy, Jason. All right. Yes. They they played in four other band names besides the Black Crows. <laughs> All right, here we go. Next question. Most played song. It's actually a four-way tie for first. On Halloween. On Halloween, ranging right. from 1990 to tw- 2010. All right, I'm going to give two, and Ian, you see if you can get the other two. Okay. Black Moon Creeping, Evil Eye. Neither are correct. Um, I'm going to say Wiser Time. That is one of them, yes. And probably Remedy. That is also correct. Thank you. The correct other two answers are Thorn in My Pride and No Speak, No Slave. Oh, Remedy, Wiser, Thorn, and No Speak all played seven of the ten shows. There's two that are tied for second place with six times played. Before we continue, folks, I just want you to know that in case you haven't figured it out for yourself, Jason is very good with statistics. He's a very valuable asset with that. <laughs> now back to this program. Black Moon Creeping. Ian, you got a guess? Oh, I thought we were going to tell David he was wrong first. Um, oh, yeah, uh, that was wrong. <laughs> My Morning Song. Incorrect. Evil Eye. Ooh, David, your favorite. Yep. Tied with Jealous again. At oh, six times. interesting. Interestingly enough, just a couple of little side points with the songs. A song that seems obvious would be played on Halloween a lot, especially since 01, would be Midnight from the Inside Out. Hmm. Only been played once. Oh, five. And then another song that seems like it would fit into the Halloween thing, Curse of Diamond, never played on Halloween. That's odd. I mean, you would think Evil Eye would be more so, you know what I mean? Yep. Given the title. Uh, two more questions. One, how many countries have they played in in Halloween? Hmm, let's see here. Three. Yeah, I'm going to go with three also. Correct. Answer is three. And last question, what is the most popular city that they've played in for Halloween? Boston. Chicago. The answer is New York. Four times. Is that right? Yep. Oh, that's right. Oh, eight was, well, of course, oh, eight was the Hammerstein. Mm-hmm. 10 was the Best Buy Theater, which is something else now. And uh, 96 was New York also, right? Yep, at the Beacon. Yep. And then the other one was 07, was at the United Palace. Yes, I was at that one also. We'll get to that later, but uh, it was an interesting one. So there you go. There's just a little bit of uh, Halloween Crows trivia to get our evening started. All right. And now that uh, Jason has made us to look very stupid, let's uh, let's jump into the first show we were going to touch on. Now, obviously, Jason, you mentioned that they had a performance in 1990. We kind of glossed over that for whatever reason. It's a Shake Your Money Maker Tour show, essentially the same show that's on the box set. When you have one record... They had those 
shake him on down in the get back cover duo that they put in the middle. And then it's shake your money maker. Yeah. I mean, that's not, not, uh, I'm sure not much to really, uh, comment on, on that one. The, the, the first time they kind of get into the swing of the Halloween theme and the, and some aspects of it that they would repeat down the line was, uh, 1994 when they came out as blessed chloroform at the mean fiddler in England. I think it's a really good show obviously it's a very small place and if you listen or watch the youtube video the the crowd man you can tell it's packed in there tight and you can the way it's recorded at least on youtube you can hear like the energy of the crowd and how how much fun everybody's having which a lot of times on these shows you don't really get to hear all that but if you go and watch the youtube that's what i did i just watched all the youtubes of these shows and it just, I don't know. It sounds like the people know they're experiencing something really cool at the time. Seeing a band like that in a place that small, pretty cool. Kind of like how the Stones used to show up and just play, you know, somewhere that's five or 600 people to promote a tour or something like that. I'm looking at the set list here. Um, the Treats, Gone as an opener. That's always a plus. Mm. Let's see. A Trick is Ballad, followed by P25 London. That should never happen. Uh, regardless of what's going on the sting me there is uh is pretty cool it's the first of the encore and chris says something like thanks for coming out listen to the new songs and he just goes this isn't one of them and rich <laughs> picks it up and it, I, I always like it sometimes when chris's banter isn't like directed at somebody or anything but it's about the coolness of the music and he just goes right into it i love that so, yeah, really the only trick on here is putting P25 in between Ballad and Wiser. And they also throw No Speak in there in between, which uh, that's kind of a that's kind of weird because you got mellow, funky, heavy, and then back to mellow and smooth in there. I, P25, I, you could have left it off and I'd been happy. But other than that, well, could I have been so blind as thrown in there, not played a whole lot after that shake your money maker tour uh if you like that song that would be a treat i happen to like it i didn't realize until we did the money maker episode how much people dislike it but yeah so i'm gonna have to go with sting me gone and then the trick is p25 london see the trick for me actually would be could i've been so blind only because in the flow of all the other songs it kind of sticks out to me you know what i mean it's the one it's the lone shake your money maker song in the set i think 
I don't know. It just kind of seems disjointed there. I mean, the treat for me being the, aside from what you mentioned, David, the gone opener, that's always a great thing, but the uh, feeling all right encore is fantastic. That's always great. And that's kind of of the era, just to give people a point of reference, it's the same year they performed it on Letterman. So it's that kind of vibe, you know, because they kind of treated it the same way through the years, but it did, it did kind of change the way they approached it a little bit. So that's like well, that, that early, And at that show, you had Chris Trujillo on percussion. Mm. And if you look at the video on the stage, they're slammed in there pretty tight. It's and, a small uh, but, joint. Yeah, but I really liked um, what he brought to all of that. Obviously, Eric Bobo recording a lot of, uh, you know, of the stuff for Amorica. But then when you have him play on that and then the stuff that he adds to the other songs that have been recorded previously, pretty cool sound that they got there i, I kind of wish they would go back to something like that yeah for sure i mean uh, jason we've kind of sucked all the fun out of this one did you <laughs> i'm gonna break the could i have been so blind tie that was one of my treats i really like that song i think i think that version of it in a small place like that david had mentioned the crowd and how you could pick up pick up the energy that's one of those songs watch the crowd while they play that song you can hear them audibly singing along and the whole place is just like on a wave. And I like having Mark on it. Number one, because it's a shaking moneymaker song. Plus I think the extra percussion, Chris gets up there and shakes the maracas while Mark rips into the solo. There's a lot of added depth to it that you don't get from the original. That was a big treat to me. And to that end, I also agree with the gone opener, particularly because you get the full percussion open later in these shows that gone will just kick right in without the extended intro and i don't like yeah and and uh, just so i i don't get attacked on social media i don't dislike the song could i've been so blind i just in this context i thought that was it was like a stick out but you do raise a very good point jason about mark ford being on it and uh you know that does always up the ante uh so the next show in the running order wouldn't be for two years and that would be 1996 at the Beacon Theater in New York City. And this is the first time the band opened for themselves as a quote-unquote different band. They called themselves Jelly Donut, and they all came out dressed up as Elvis Presley and did a couple of Elvis tunes. actually have uh, a photo of johnny colt from that show and when we did the first patreon johnny colt event i slid it over to him and had him sign it and that's in my new office now and it's like one of my prized possessions because i i love that whole thing yeah seeing them all dressed as elvis was funny chris of course was like over the top with the uh you know the elvis type movements and stuff like this and mm. y'all want a hot take always i'm from mississippi and i don't like elvis <laughs> i think the government of mississippi uh should move you on out of there it's kind of like the beatles i think they get a lot of credit just for being the first and that's good i mean if you come up with something like that and obviously they've um 
you know, influence music from here, here on out. But I like Suspicious Mind, some stuff like that, but he doesn't do anything for me. And um, well, anyway, so they do Jailhouse Rock, which is uh, a gimme. And um, I don't like that song. And it, it seems like it gets covered a lot. It's kind of like if somebody covers Led Zeppelin, they're going to do a whole lot of love. Mm. If you're going to cover Elvis and you're a rock man, it's always going to be Jailhouse Rock. But I do, I do like C.C. Ryder. I think that's an interesting song for them to play. Chris has got all the moves and everything going and they jam it up and Chris has a little bit of a rant in there. So if I had to go for something from the jelly donut, it would be CC Ryder. But then man, this is just when they were clicking, they open up with let me share the ride and mellow down easy, which I don't really remember that being an opening combo before. Do you guys off the top of your head? No, they're they're usually together, but not you know right off the bat like that. I think that's kind of cool though. I do like I always like to see those. That's like a ballad wiser thing for me. I always like to see those two songs together. Then we go in hard to handle, high head blues, Blackberry, and then you get dreams, and then I know a song that made Ian just real happy, Mister mm-hmm. Spaceman. Oh yes, I know he likes that. But then nasty boogie woogie, yeah. So I'm gonna go with my trick as being Nasty Boogie Woogie and Evil Eye. And my treats are Mr. Spaceman, because I love that song, and then Torn and Frayed as one of the encores. I knew Torn and Frayed would be on your list. You're, you're such a champion of that. Not that I don't like that song, but I know that's a particular favorite. I would say for me, you know, highlights the treats, if you will. Actually, one of them was Nasty Boogie Woogie for me, uh, solely because it's like a showcase for Ed, and I always like to hear him do that Boogie Woogie piano. I mean, it's not the... Uh, you know, the greatest tune on earth, but uh, Ed always uh, rips that one up. And, uh, you know, of course, Dreams with Warren Haynes sitting in. I mean, they always do a great cover of Dreams, but whenever Warren's there, it just takes it next level. Uh, you know, tricks for me, I guess, would be the uh, appearance of Hard to Handle. Even in 95, 96, when they were kind of slowing it down slightly, adding some percussion in there, I don't know. It just kind of it derails the show for me, Hard to Handle at this point, you know? But other than that, I mean, this is probably, you know, like like you said, David, this is from the era where they're firing on all cylinders and they're really, uh, you know, in the pocket. So uh, this is just a fantastic show. And it should be made abundantly clear to people that the night before they got Life Fest Jam. Yes, it's part of the Black Moon suite, if you will. One of the only times, if I'm not mistaken, the only time that they ever touched on Life I think it got Fest. played in Europe one time. Is that right? I think so. Cause I, I bought one of those. When those, you know, when those bootlegs first started coming out around, what was it like, 05 or so? Mm-hmm. It was on there, but it's not a long one. It's not a long, the one in Europe's like 30 seconds. It's essentially him playing that riff over and over again. Anyway, sorry. You know, that's my holy grail. It is. And I, I, I hope one day they play it and you're there, honestly, because you, you've, you've really, you, you deserve it at this point. Jason, what do you make of this one? Yeah, I, I highlighted a lot of the same things that you guys did. A treat for me was the share the ride open uh it's it's not a song they open with a lot but it works really well and especially in this case where they extended that out a little bit and extended it at the end i would prefer it not to go into mellow down easy it would be nice if that would happen and it would go somewhere else but that's what we got i happen to like the hard to handle jam i did write that as a treat because if you're going to play that song and i think you're sort of mandated to play sometimes i like this era where it was slower with the percussion longer drawn out a little jam at the end that's pretty funky i did like this version and then the two covers the dreams 
covered with Warren and then uh, torn and frayed. I am not an Evil Eye fan. This is the first time it shows up, if you recall. From the trivia, it's going to show up five more times in these shows. And I get why they play it in Halloween, but it's just not a good song. You say that so defeated. Shows up five more times. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I would agree. I, 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 It's one of those songs that I'm not necessarily a tremendous fan of, but I don't necessarily dislike. If it shows up, it doesn't you know, do me any harm. But, uh, you know, I understand what you mean. It's, it's one of those songs you either really like or you, or you kind of don't like at all. There's no middle ground on that one, I don't think. Now, the next Halloween performance they did was one that we could not find a recorded version of For Love Nor Money. And uh, that was a show from 1998 that they did at a festival in Denmark on the Show Enough tour. Uh, you know, essentially looking at the set list without having heard it, of course, but it's it's kind of a hits-heavy set list, being that it was at a festival. And the thing with 98, though, even even their headline shows were pretty much the same in terms of the general aesthetic pretty much every show opened with remedy and then right went right into sting me then you got either that abbreviated version of gone without the the mm. open or you got thick and thin or you got go faster one of those like up tempo meh middle of the road type songs there's a couple of shows out there if you look at the youtube show from 98 that's on there that's in like it looks like somebody's basement <laughs> that's a fantastic fun show to watch but I, I can't imagine that this show would have sounded great you know in in retrospect looking at the set list this is that era is you know seemingly as close to the you know recent shake your money maker tour set list type of thing as, as you can get in terms of obviously they didn't play shake your money maker in its duration but you know very hits heavy same thing every night uh essentially you know with a couple of variations here and there not the overall varying set list that they would uh, universally be known for. Yeah. This one's pretty pedestrian thing that pops out to me. Those girl from a pawn shop. Absolutely. I was thinking that myself and Nebuchadnezzar is, is an odd one to pop up in, in a set. Yeah. list. Like this. That encore is as stock as it gets. She talks to angels and hard to handle. That's a twofer of the biggest hits, you know, but uh, I guess, you know, I understand doing that at festivals because you're trying to appeal to the broadest audience you can there. But being that we couldn't really listen to this one, Let's see, we're going to fast forward ahead to the next Halloween show, which takes place three years later at the Orpheum Theater in Boston. And this show is notable for uh, several reasons. One of them being it was their last performance before they took the first hiatus uh, at the end of 2001. And it's also one of the shows that the 2002 live album was drawn from. 2001 had a lot of very interesting set lists. It's just some of the performances maybe could be problematic sometimes, but you know, on paper, these things look great, but listening to it, these actually, these, both of these Boston shows are actually very, very solid. I don't know if they saw the writing on the wall and then we're giving it, uh, giving it their all, but uh, I mean, it opens with my morning song into whole lot of love.
it's all around me. It's encompassing me. And I feel it. And I feel it. And I see it. And I hear it. And I taste it. And I know it. great that's a, that's a really cool one too that you you don't really see many other times uh highlights for me on this one though are in the encore miracle to me i really like the version of that they do and the fact that sunday night buttermilk waltz makes an appearance is pretty cool to me i again i know not everybody's a huge fan of that and it's kind of weird without mark but uh you know and the uh the trick on this one for me unfortunately being the one two punch of licking and go faster those are two mm. songs that uh you know i don't mm. necessarily like to see and i don't want to see them back to back a show that opens up with my morning song can go a long way to covering that up yes oh absolutely um when i look at it i think this is the oddest encore in the history of the black crows miracle to me nonfiction jam and then stare it cold i'm with you ian i like miracle to me I think when it's performed, when Chris is on the those vocals during the verses, some of the most heartfelt that he has. I love those, but sitting here looking at it, stare it cold. I always love hearing that one live. My morning song as your opener, you can't go wrong with that. Man, that licking go faster combo there. Uh, not the best, but I'm gonna have to pick licking and evil eyes, the two I'd get rid of. And just a little yeah. tidbit of information about the uh, miracle to me. The reason why the intro is extended on that is because uh, Mr. Steve Gorman was backstage shaving his head and then came out, right. was, I believe came out with it half shaved, if I'm not mistaken, um, according to his book anyway. Uh, so much to the chagrin of the rest of the band. But uh, so that's, uh, that's why that gets that little extended intro. But you know on the audio only when you can't see that it does make for a cool addition to the song if only you knew they were stalling for time jason what do you think of this one well and the funny thing is about that is earlier when they did the band introductions he forgot to introduce steve so then when they come out and he doesn't come out with them chris says something like you forget to introduce the drummer and then he just takes off and leaves <laughs> uh highlights for me and this one share the ride intro comes back the 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 jam the share the ride version on here um is very good i started to think like share the ride and could i have been so blind are similar songs um the more i was listening to them in these sets the more i realized they both have like where it's a slower tempo that builds up and then they kick into the high gear slow it back down and they kick it into high gear so i assume because those both were highlights for me i must like that uh, but the true treat, I think, in this set is the Thorn in My Pride. Uh, it's a solid half hour because Thorn's progress and everything that goes into that is 16 minutes by itself. For me, I agree the licking and go faster 
another appearance of Evil Eye. Uh, and all of those songs seemed like they were fast, like tempo was high. They were cruising through mm. those things. Yeah, I was definitely going to bring that up as well. That uh, that was like Wiser Time, especially, always was uh, like uh, like a half step too fast. And that song, too fast, it it, it, it loses something, you know. But uh, I mean, overall, two thousand and one had some some really really cool set lists, and it's kind of an overlooked tour. But uh, I think there's some that, real gems on it. You think about the Halloween set had my morning song, Black Moon, Creeping, Wiser Time, and Thorn in My Pride all in the same set. Yeah, I mean it's 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 no slouch. I'll give you that. And let's jump ahead to 2005 at the Riviera Theater in Chicago, Illinois. This is my favorite Halloween show. All right. So they opened as BCDC, Rock and Roll Damnation, Hell Ain't a Bad Place to Be, Highway to Hell. As always, there's a theme there. If you took away the words rock and roll and hell from ACDC, they've got like two albums worth of material, right? <laughs> Listen, you got to stick with what works sometimes, you know? All right. So uh, obviously a lot of their songs sound the same, but they stuck with the Bon Scott era and they all came out dressed like Angus Young, which is... There's something funny about seeing Rich Robinson in shorts. I don't know what it is, but it made me chuckle. It was more offsetting to me seeing Mark Ford in shorts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if I remember correctly, Rich and Mark were playing SGs. Mm. And um, Mark, even a time or two, did a little imitation of Angus Young. If I had to pick one of the three for people to go listen to, it'd be the opening song, Rock and Roll Damnation, just because it's kind of when you see them walk out doing that and they bust into that. And that's not exactly in there wheelhouse that they normally do but i think one of the interesting things of it is gorman plays very 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 close to phil rudd on these songs i know he's a huge phil rudd fan mm. so it was interesting watching i guess you could i'm not a drummer so i don't understand the terminology but gorman wasn't playing maybe as loose as he normally does it was a little more like a metronome and phil rudd's like a metronome am i wrong on that no no it's uh, i mean Phil Rudd and Phil Rudd is almost like the hard rock metal version of Charlie Watts, where he knows what to do, keeps it in the pocket, but doesn't get too crazy. You know what I mean? All right. So when you look at the set list, this is one of my favorite shows of all time. Be honest with you. They start mm. off with Evil Eye. Not not a fan of that, obviously. But then 
you guys tell me what you think. Midnight from the Inside Out, No Speak, No Slave, Tied Up and Swallowed. Is that possibly the heaviest three songs they have? Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, I guess, maybe to follow up, uh, you know, the bombast of doing ACDC songs with uh, their heaviest tunes. Normally, I like to hear Midnight from the Inside Out, but something seems off on the guitars. And like, maybe Chris and Rich aren't tuned the same when they do that little bend not not the one kind of like the false intro but once they get into the song i don't know it sounds a little bit off to me but that no speak no slave is great and then chris introduces tied up and swallowed i said something like this is a love song or, or something like that this doesn't go with the most the, romantic uh, song yeah the know. most romantic song they know all right but here's what i think is interesting you go evil eye midnight from the inside out no speak no slave tied up and swallowed and they just randomly throw sister luck in there mm. um this didn't work for me this isn't one of the better versions of it, but then you get Nebuchadnezzar, high head blues, and then man, a smoking jam before black moon creeping. One of the, definitely one of the highlights. And then you get long, 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 the Beatles cover. You get the jam before thorn in my pride, but it's this second set that to me really sets this apart because you get dreams. Then you get song of love. Go ahead, David. Title song. Don't skip yep. over it. You know, you want Just to hold on title song. L.A., Feathers, Money Waster Jam, Share the Ride, Mellow Down Easy, Jealous Again, and Remedy. All right. The Dreams is amazing. But then we get Title Song. We get Mark doing L.A. and then to Feathers. Mark's playing on Title Song on this one is one of the better versions I've heard him play on. And I'm looking at this. and the, But it, here's, here's a couple of the tr tricks. I don't like having Shake Your Money Maker as the encore ever. But then let me share the ride and mellow down easy. Kind of, that's kind of the same thing to some extent. But the treats for me are tied up and swallowed, LA, feathers, title song, the tricks, song of love. Steven Stills is on that one. So, Ian is, that's going to be his favorite song that we talk about. And then uh, I don't like that encore of Shake Your Moneymaker. I'm in agreement with most everything you said there i mean definitely the the standout trick if you will is uh shake your money makers the encore that's like uh you know you build up build up build up this fantastic show and then it's that's kind of a letdown at the end i you know i mean it of course makes up for it all the great things that happen including you know the obviously the acdc opener but that that start a set too where you go dream song of love title song la feathers i mean that's like a you know, L.A. is always a particular treat for me. I love that's my probably my favorite Neil Young cover that Mark does. And, um, you know, who would be upset with either title song or feathers? Obviously, big fan of Song of Love, as David likes to point out, because, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Stephen Stills, but also getting dreams here. Even, you know, the 96 versions that they do are the top for me. But, you know, 0506 is a close rival for those dreams versions, man. It's just something about the way Rich and Mark play on that together. Even though it's not their own song, they just, uh, there's some magic in there. There's always magic with those two, though, you know. Jason, what do you think of this one? Yeah, I got a couple of notes. Let me start with not music related. If you watch these videos are on YouTube as well, the biggest thing that stood out to me right away is the lighting. I, I don't know if you guys have ever talked to any of the guys that done lighting for shows or much less. It would be sweet to hear whoever did the lighting for this for the black crows because when you have a band that goes in so many different directions with their jams and segging into things and drum solos to to hit the lights like that that's pretty like 
they looked pretty great. Even in parts like I'm not a big, I don't like the big extended Steve drum solos that he would do in the middle of Thorn or my morning song. But in this case, he had like a clear drum set. So when he's playing it, like the lights would shine, like flash through the drums, which was pretty sweet, even if I didn't like the drum solo. <laughs> but the lighting stood out for me. Uh, I agree with David. Cut Evil Eye and Midnight from the Inside Out. I mentioned that's the only time they played it on Halloween was this time. And I'm better with that opening than Evil Eye. You got to cut Evil Eye, period. But I would cut them both and open with No Speak, No Slave. This is another case of where if you read the set list, you don't realize exactly what the experience was. And I, my case in point is the stretch from Nebuchadnezzar through Black Moon Creeping. Because you get done with Sister Luck, which is an odd thing. You got this ballad that comes out. And then they start doing essentially like, I don't know what you call it. Like, it's like a trash can opening. You know, you have trash can endings. It's like they keep kind of ramping up and like they're going to go into something. You go, okay, what's it going to be? By the sounds of it, it could be Wiser. It could be Thorn. It could be one of the big pillars. All this buildup. And it goes into Nebuchadnezzar. (laughs) (laughs) which to me was a little odd, but then once they get into it, they extend the intro that should say like Nebuchadnezzar jam high head blues. Cause that whole sequence is one stretch from the weird intro to Nebuchadnezzar to the end of Blackburn creeping. That's like 35 minutes of just jamming with some songs in the middle of it that are unusual songs for them to play that way, which is, is very cool about it. And then for me, the other treats, the stretch, Dreams is good. It's not my favorite cover, but from there, I also, the Song of Love with Rich singing stands out. So you get Rich singing. The title song in here is epic. It's one of the best title songs they've played. Mm -hmm. Then that stretches into L.A. with Mark singing. And then you kind of go back to that vibe with Feathers. And then for me... The downtown money waster isn't the highlight, but the jam into the share, let me share the ride. And then the jam after that is another thing that if you just read it on paper, you don't realize how epic that was. The interesting thing as far as Halloween shows go is, is a, a year later, they returned to the Riviera theater again in Chicago to do another Halloween performance. But this time it's in a very weird period for the band. This was, you know, after Mark had uh, left, after the summer 06 tour and uh, had, you know, notified them that he wasn't going to be going back out for the fall tour. So Paul Stacy's on guitar. And then we also have the addition of Rob Cloris on keys. So I, I think this is actually a very underrated era of the band. I do want to say that because Rob Cloris did some great keyboard work with them and Paul Stacy really held his own in the guitar slot, especially for a guy that was called in at the last minute. And uh, I think it's kind of a period of the band that kind of, kind of gets uh brushed by uh this is where they opened as the bitch boys doing uh some beach boys covers the most interesting of which i think is the kokomo cover We'll be falling in 
set lists go i mean there's uh you, know, you get a, a cover of freeze ride on a pony which is always kind of cool fearless is always great i'm not a huge fan of this era of pink floyd but when they did this with oasis on the brotherly love tour it was a cool cover and that was lucifer sam it's it's really the second set of this show that really picks up it starts with that awesome and i don't care who the guitar player is on it the jam into waiting guilty is always fantastic and you get a nice ballad wiser as it should be and uh you know an excellent encore here too which is uh silver train a particular favorite off of the uh, goat's head soup album well you know anytime fearless is played i'm gonna like it but interesting that they do two pink floyd covers on the same night mm. um they couldn't be any more different than what they are but to me one of the treats is cypress tree i loved that song and, uh, you know, Mark did some things with it in 0506. Stacy does a good job with it here. I like that song. It's one I wish they played more. Now, looking down, I'm like you, that jam and waiting guilty, that's always so good because when they start that jam, you always know eventually what it's going to get to. And it's one of my favorite Crows moments is when they roll from that jam directly into the song. There's a version in Atlanta, in like 0506, it's really, really good that uh, always gets me going, but silver train, our buddy, Nebuchadnezzar, Mr. Steve Gleason is going to say that is the treat for this one. Uh, I'm going to have to go with waiting guilty, fearless Cypress tree. The tricks for me are going to be money waster. Here we go with evil. Eye kicking off another one. <laughs> but yeah, I agree with you. Stacy kind of may have rescued the crows because I don't know if they couldn't do that tour. Would they have eventually gotten Luther if they didn't do that tour? Right. Uh, would they have just called it a day? So he, I hope uh, all involved uh, really appreciated what he did. Jason, what do you think of this one? Yeah, I completely agree. As soon as the evil eye comes up, I'm just already not excited. And I think in my mind, with you know, my mind works this way. They they started set two with a jam to go into waiting guilty. Why wouldn't you just start set one the same way and jam right into Black Moon Creeping and let's go? But that's just because I, the evil I just, again, I understand why they play it on Halloween, but it's it just doesn't do anything for me. There's a lot of um, spacey, noodly stuff, so I don't know if this is Stacy's influence or that's what they kind of moved to to help as he was learning the songs, but I want to say the first time I heard the fearless cover, rich was doing it solo. And then the crows started to do it. And obviously rich sings it, uh, which sounds great. And I do like all the segue jams that they continue to do. And this is the period where, you know, they're doing the two full set three hour shows. And with Stacy having to step in um, and Rob, even for that matter, like they could have toned this way down find found an opening band and went back to two hour sets, but they kept bringing the full, the full thing. So I appreciate that. 
Yeah, and the next year, same lineup, but I feel much, much stronger um, in terms of the the performance because they're a little more, a little more in the groove with each other, I think. And that was at the United Palace Theater, uh, again in New York City. This was a show that I attended. Very strange uh, venue. It's it's a converted church that's all the way uptown, like almost in Harlem. And uh, you know, it's it's the the only other act i can remember in the recent past like playing there was the allman brothers when the beacon theater wasn't available to do their annual run they switched it over to this united palace theater but uh i mean this show starts with highlights for me and that's give peace a chance into space captain you know get a little leon russell style a little mad dogs and englishman that always goes a long way with me But it's a set filled with really cool stuff. You know, there's another roadside tragedy in here, which even without Mark playing on it, you know, Paul Stacey does an admirable job with it. And then you get an appearance, a very strange appearance. Patty Smith was opening these shows, and then she just kind of comes out during the jam for nonfiction. And her and Chris really get spacey with that one. And uh, but it, it it was cool. In the moment, it was cool. I remember being there and 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 feeling like I was a part of something that was very unique that probably would never happen again and that's always kind of a cool feeling when you're at a show and of course you get the can't you hear me knocking encore which again always a winner um i don't know jason what do you think of this one um space captain has never been one of my favorite covers i don't like all the woos and stuff (laughs) um we get our uh mandated appearance of the jam into black moon creeping i can totally understand why david would have guessed that that was one of the most played because it seems to pop up i think what happens is it goes away it was only played four times but here's another one um i do like the spacey stuff i'm in a a certain mood uh, for it what's weird to me one of the tricks of the set though is coming out of that spacey jam and then going into the traditional eight more no more cane and the brazos that's a pretty significant left turn Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think Paul Stacy in general does a great job on some of these jams and the solos. The, the other highlight, the treat here is we get a, a lot of only time played on Halloween songs in here. Darling of the Underground Press, Roadside Tragedy that we talked about. It's only the second time, I believe, that Pawn Shop was played. So specific treat that I would pick out on this is Can't You Hear Me Knocking Encore, though, because that's... That's a random poll, it seems, but it, it's good. David, what about you? Oh, that can't you hear me knocking all day long? Take that as many times as I can hear it, to, regardless of who plays it. I thought the gift piece of chance, Space Captain One Two Punch, was an odd for the opener 
Um, Space Captain, when they first started playing it, I really loved it. And then it just, it got overplayed. Uh, I'm kind of like uh, Jason now. I, I could skip over that one. But you got another Roadside Tragedy in there, that jam with Black Moon Creeping. You get Pawn Shop. I would say the uh, trick for me, it's not a lot to choose from. I'd say Space Captain. Um, other than that, nothing really sticks out as being not my cup of tea, but that one just kind of, and that one just got overplayed. Yeah, they did. They did lean onto that one quite a little bit uh, during that era. And then they went back to it in 13 when they did the tour with Tedeschi trucks. Yeah. Well, I think Tedeschi trucks did that on their own, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. They, they would do that with them. They, um, Tedeschi trucks overplays that one too. Yeah. I mean, I never, I always liked the mad dogs and Englishman thing. So that song was always cool to me, but you know, I could, I could definitely see how it's an oddball for some people, you know. I do want to mention though, before moving on, that Rob Cloris on a lot of these songs really knocks him out of the park on keys. I am surprised that they did not keep him on board. He would have been very valuable to the future of the Black Crows. And uh, I mean, he 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 held up his own. I mean, from when we interviewed him, the number, the sheer number of songs that he had to learn in a short amount of time and how well he did with them. You know, it's very commendable. But then we go to the next phase of the band with uh, Luther Dickinson and Adam McDougall on board. And that was 2008 at the Hammerstein Ballroom in New York City. Again, another show I was at. Uh, Very cool run of shows where they did the 30th and the 31st at the Hammerstein. Then the next week, two acoustic shows at Town Hall, which is a really cool venue in New York City. It's almost like a high school auditorium. That's the size of it. Very cool for an acoustic show. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the Luther era. I really enjoy everything he brought to the table. Uh, and this particular show, you know, we've, we're back to a more traditional, but I, this show ended up being over two hours and uh, a lot of different takes, obviously, with Luther being involved. The opening of Only Halfway to Everywhere, that's a another track off of Three Snakes like let me share the ride that it doesn't come out often in, in slotted as the opening track here. And when we've seen them do that, it's, it works really great. Uh, I really thought that that was a highlight as we move through the set though. Uh, they do a lot of interesting things, particularly for me, what stood out after we get through the, of course, evil eye, um, she talks to angels, which again, this is another one. If you see it on paper and you're like, Oh, that that doesn't excite me in this case though i really enjoyed what luther did to the opening of that the slide that he plays on that it really changed the song for me and and much like we talked about the hard to handle jam uh and how that gets me kind of back into that song luther playing she talks to angels really brought that song back to life for me with how he plays on it so i noted that as a real treat um there's a lot of Luther slide moments, the poor Elijah jam that's in there, um, the torn and frayed Luther solo that he does in there. Uh, when they play the um, uh, war paint songs, there was a couple of them that they used as jam vehicles, one being the uh, song We Who See the Deep. So again, if you saw that on paper, maybe you like that, maybe not. But when you hear how they jam that out into, I want to say it's takeoff from the future jam, into thorn i 
that's an amazing stretch of music right there. Uh, it sounds great. They close the set with Wounded Bird. But then in the encore, Good Friday shows up, likes She Talks to Angels. It's another one where Luther just changes that song. It's slower, a lot more slide. Whole songs, I think they stretch this one to about seven minutes. Got full harmonica in it. Uh, it's a beautiful version of Good Friday, weird for Halloween. And then into the Zeppelin cover of Hey, Hey, What Can I Do, which is also fantastic. Now, actually, I, I misspoke before because I was just going back looking through the set list. And I remembered, I thought I remembered a song being performed this night, but I, I it wasn't. So I went to check the other night. They actually did the 27th and the 28th, and then they added the Halloween show uh, after the fact. So it was actually three shows at the Hammerstein. Um, but uh, David, what do you think of this one? There's some definite big time highlights and some low points. That encore of Good Friday and Hey, Hey, What Can I Do? That is awesome. Both of those songs are top five songs, probably for me, for each one of those bands. I was lucky enough to see, hey, hey, what can I do on the Moneymaker reunion tour? They didn't do it a whole lot. It was pretty cool when Chris introduced it. He goes, Jimmy Page taught us this song. And they went right into it. Uh, anytime Woe Mule's on there, that's a uh, a trick. Evergreen's a trick. Poor Elijah tribute to Johnson. Man, they just overdid it. I feel like once Luther hit the band, man, especially that first go-round, it was just every show or every other show. It's not a bad song, but at that point, just sick of it. Uh, Torn and Frayed, and then uh, Only Halfway to Everywhere is an opener, always like that. Goes without saying, Evil Eye uh, is on there again. But uh, yeah, th this one is one of those ones, there's not a whole lot of meh on there for me. It's either good or I'm not interested. This, to me, is the worst one of the bunch so far. See, now it's funny because I, I always... I always found Evergreen to be a highlight because I really like Rich's riff on that. And live, it had a little more grit to it than it did on the record. But uh, as far, far as other highlights for me, obviously, Torn and Freight is here. I agree with Jason. The encore is fantastic. That Good Friday into Hey, Hey, What Can I Do? Great. I actually kind of like Wounded Bird in the closing spot because you don't often see that. And uh, you know they were they were big on that tune like in 08 and a little bit into 09 and then it kind of kind of disappeared after that and i do agree with david though this probably of all the ones we've we've gone over in terms of halloween shows this probably is the uh you know the weakest one of the bunch uh you know which is not saying it's bad it's just a lot of the other ones had to pack a bigger punch than this you know but the the final halloween show that the band has done to date was 2010 again in new york city they like to do halloween in new york city i think uh, that was at, at the time, a place called the Best Buy Theater. I believe it's called the Sony PlayStation Theater now, or I don't know. It's changed names a couple of times, but pretty cool show in in that it was during the Say Goodnight to the Bad Guys tour where they were doing an acoustic set and an electric set. So uh, odd venue, though. I didn't really like the venue. But, uh, you know, the, the acoustic set, it's almost, uh, you know, kind of a, a hits-heavy run-through. You get what is home in there. Uh, they do a cool cover of Polly, which, again, is the second time that it appears at a Halloween show. I always like that one. Some people don't like it. Um, and then in the electric set, see Lucifer Sam again, which is an odd repeat for a song. They didn't cover a tremendous amount to get it in two Halloween shows is interesting. Um, but again, you know, it is Halloween theme, I suppose. And then, you know, how can you argue with been a long time, but then you want to talk about tricks. You get two of the biggest ones in the entire Halloween run. You get there's gold in them Hills followed by kicking my heart around. Two songs I'm not a tremendous fan of, and two songs back-to-back -back are very, very odd to get back-to-back. -back. I don't know. What do you think of this one, David? This is an odd show. I'm looking at that acoustic set, Under a Mountain Sticks Out, as a positive. 
Um, my morning song, I often wonder why they did that one so much acoustically uh, at that point. I just, it's not bad, but I need to hear my morning song turned up to 11. You get the evil eye, Lucifer Sam combo, throw us a bone, we're tied up and swallowed. I'm with you, Ian. Been a long time waiting on love. That's a big time treat. Uh, I love that song. And mm. uh, live, it was a vehicle for some some good things. There's Golden Them Hills. It's terrible, no matter where it is in the set list. I don't understand, though, why it wouldn't have been in the acoustic set list. It seems like it would fit more in there. Uh, kicking my heart around. Uh, I've always said, if you put some different lyrics on that, you're cooking with gas because the music on it's great. And then just a horrible encore. Uh, your blues and thick and thin. I know I've made comments on here. I don't know how many times I've been to these shows and thick and thin is the encore. That's just, you got a, you got a pretty good set going there minus a few songs. And then you get your blues and uh, thick and thin. I am uh, not a fan of either one of those songs. So this is probably my second least favorite set. Man, just the, the two Halloween disappointments in a row for you, David. I don't like to hear this. Uh, Jason, what do you think of this show? Yeah, this is also the time where Rich and Luther switched spots on the stage. I was at the first show they ever did it, and I was like, what is going on here? Yeah, Was that on the 2010 tour? I mm-hmm. thought that was earlier. Mm-hmm. Mud Island Amphitheater in Memphis. Interesting. Yeah, so fit. When you're watching it, you know, you're expecting certain things to happen over here and things to happen on the left, things to happen on the right, and you being able to anticipate it. And when it happens the reverse, it's, I don't know, it throws me off. So I I didn't like that, but we can get over it. I did like the concept of the acoustic opener. One thing I will always give this band credit for, if you think of how many different things that they've done that you could sit in a room and go, it would be cool if a band did X. And pretty much they've done it. When you think of acoustic sets, when you think of recording a live album, putting on an acoustic album, they've they've done all of these things just how they've gone about it has been a little mind-blowing. The Morning Song Acoustic, I am torn on this one. I can't decide if it's a trick or if it's a treat because I agree that my Morning Song Electric with the sunrise and everything that goes into it is is the definitive way that that song should be played. But I don't not like this version. I liked how the gospel part of it at the end comes, which is unique to the acoustic version. But you just got to free your mind. Let it be, let it be. If you're ever meant to fall out of time, bring it to me, bring it to me. If you wanna see that morning sun, open your eyes, yeah, open your eyes. That is 
you know, foot stomping, clapping type of music. And I do really dig it, even though it's different. Obvious trick to come out with evil. I mean, come on, evil eye. Just enough of it. <laughs> the the way that they did nonfiction, um, Space Jam into Thorn, I really enjoyed how Luther Luther being so blues oriented, how he could come in and do some of this very unique stuff, but then go right back into the blues slide. I just I've always thought he's one of the most talented guitarists that walk the earth. And um, you see it here. For me, I do dig the conspiracy and I do dig the no speak, no slave. The four songs that those are wrapped into the conspiracy, no speak sandwich, if you will. The, the gold in the hills kicking my heart around no thanks on either of those and then as david said if i had been there and knew this was the encore i would have left yeah. really you don't you're not a big guy you're a blues guy either i think they do an admirable cover of it i always kind of like the tune there's a better version uh, of it for me on the rolling stones rock and roll circus where i think it's i think it's mick keith john lennon and and um I forget who else, but uh, that that version's a little more raw, and that's that's the one I kind of like. But I always thought that the the crows did a really cool co- cover of it. So the hell with you guys, all right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this has been a lot of fun going over these shows, and I I hope everybody's you know enjoyed uh, hearing this. And we'd love to hear some of your picks if you want to drop us a line on social media or send us an email to stateofamerica at gmail dot com. We also do want to mention that we are going to be opening up a free tier on the patreon for people to get a little taste of what uh what it's all about and maybe uh would entice you to join a little bit more um so all you have to do is go to patreon.com state of morica and follow us and you'll be automatically entered into the free tier of things so please do that we'd love to we'd love to see you there and i kind of figured we'd uh we close this one out a little differently being that it's a halloween type special i think we each get a song as a play out so uh, I'm going to go with the 96 show cover of Dreams. David, what are you up with? 05 title song. Jason? Uh, I'm going to take Share the Ride from where they open it with 96. All right, everybody. Well, I appreciate you tuning in and checking this one out. And we hope you enjoyed it. And we will see you next time. So let's throw it over live to producer Jason. Stay tall, everyone.
Thank you. 